0: Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. In the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, amen. amen. It was New Year's Eve 1955 in southeast Houston, not far from Telephone Road and its assortment of legendary dive bars and characters that inhabited them. Rodney Crowell writes, the four beer-blitzed couples dancing in the cramped living room of my parents' shotgun duplex were wearing on my nerves. In particular, I didn't like the sound of their singing along with my prized Hank Williams 78s. Coon hunting with my grandfather I had heard blue tick hounds howl with more intonation than this nasal pack of yahoos. For a while, I tried contenting my five-year-old self with sticking my fingers in my ears and staring squinty-eyed at the scuff-mark patterns forming on the linoleum, hoping the likeness of Jesus or Eisenhower, the only famous images I knew of at the time other than old Hank, as my father and I referred to our favorite singer, would stare up at me from beneath the dancers' feet. The next thing I remember, Cookie Chastain was screeching to be heard above the scratchiness of whichever record she had just gored with the blunt end of the phonograph needle. Twenty minutes till midnight, y'all. Everybody change partners. And while the rest of the gang bumped around and groped for whom to dance with next, she was making a big deal out of sashaying into the waiting arms of the one man whose lust for oblivion I knew could turn this little shindig into a repeat of my worst nightmare. My mother was mad as a hornet but too ashamed to make a scene just yet. Mr. Chastain and the others were too wasted to notice or care, and my father, the only real singer in the bunch, had once again lowered his standards to a level that guaranteed trouble. So begins Rodney Crowell's autobiography, Chinaberry Sidewalks. You see, it was from a chinaberry tree, That grew wild around his his house that he would be forced to select a switch. The switch with which his father would whip him until he was duly penitent or until his alcoholic abusive father had simply passed out. I have to tell you that Rodney Crowell is as good a book writer as he is a song writer. It's one of the best books I've read recently. It's been called a combination Texas tall tale and black comedy, a twain-like reconstruction of a reckless childhood and even more reckless parents. It's been called an honest, forgiving, and self-assured memoir that brings all of the skeletons out of the closet And invites them to dance. And my favorite, unflinching. Its characters complicated. Its scenes sad and funny, rude and tender, alarming and poignant. It's as beautiful as a son's love for his parents, however flawed they might be. Sounds like salvation. Sounds like redemption. Sounds like that other parent's love for his renegade, deeply fall, flawed children, one who loves them anyway. New Year's Eve 1955 continued. Crowell writes, my intention to break up the party before it reached the point that my parents had time and again proven themselves unable to return from without inflicting serious damage and my decision to to fish the 22 caliber rifle from my dad's closet was not made lightly. Aside from enhancing the gravity of my announcement that it was time to go home, I had no intention of using the gun. <laughs> Hank Williams was singing Sick blues when I stepped into the living room armed with my father's rifle, and from there the script unraveled. It was lack of preparation for this pivotal moment that provoked two serious blunders. One, inadvertently disengaging the thumb-activated safety, and two, pulling the trigger. The bullet exploded into the linoleum floor. Lovesick blues came to a screeching halt, and my father pounced on me like he was Batman on pep pills. Sensing. His first impulse was to beat me with the butt of that rifle. I braced myself for the worst. Instead, he hugged me so close to his heart that even through the ringing in my ears, I could hear it pounding. Being squeezed that heart that I could hardly breathe gave me a feeling of deep comfort. My peacekeeping mission was complete. There would be no fighting, at least for one night. Amidst all that chaos and heartache, what was it that kept Rodney Crowell going? What kept him writing tender-hearted, honestly hopeful lyrics? What kept him loving his mother and his father for so long? It was that hug to the heart. It was that comforting feeling that your father is not going to hit you, but embrace you. And for many people in this world, when we tell them they are going to meet God, they shudder and shiver and brace themselves for an encounter with a punitive, judgmental, violent, retributive, arbitrary authority. But that is all right. And it is our job to tell people that such an image of God is all wrong. That is a tall Texas task, which is why our mission in this place is so important. You may have seen that wonderful bumper sticker. It says, Jesus is coming. Look busy. But there are a lot of people out there who fear that just looking busy will not be enough for the return of such a vengeful, wrathful, unpredictable Lord. Some think of a relationship with God as no more than selecting our switch with which to be punished. But that is not how our Heavenly Father operates, the one who wants nothing more than to take us in his arms and hold us close to his loving, forgiving, redeeming heart tighter that God holds us and we allow ourselves to be held by God, the less likely we are to inflict harm on others or ourselves as religion too often does. There are only a few stories in scripture in which folks climb mountains and encounter God and the interesting thing is That in neither of them on Transfiguration Sunday does anyone have to hide their faces or fear being seen or recognized or known. In fact, Moses, setting an example for all of us, takes off his veil. Knowing he can present his true, honest-to-God self up on that mountain, both Moses and Jesus, when they encounter this God. Are transformed in a positive way. They literally begin to glow, their faces start shining, they exude the glory of God's love, they are filled with joy and that can happen to you too. But if you try to hide the truth about yourself, if your idea of being a Christian is just to find the right veil to cover up all of your flaws you will end up covering up your heart and blocking your soul as well you will not get transfigured or transformed or redeemed or resurrected but if you are willing to approach God without all the cover up just as you are you too might hear the words that Jesus heard oh you're my son you're my daughter I'm proud of you. You have a gift. You have something to say, something to offer this world that can make a difference. It might be a song or a story or a generous act of kindness, but I believe in you and your power to change things for the better. Do you remember that wonderful children's story, The Little Engine That Could? I think of our community of St. Cecilia as the little church. That would, because it is always a choice. Just because you can, doesn't mean you will. Well, we embrace our God-given identity and calling. You might remember that in that story, there's an engine that gives out before it's able to get up the mountain and over to the other side to deliver toys and treats to children in need. It is such important cargo. Entrusted by the great giver of gifts, isn't it? That which will feed and delight and sustain children, there's nothing more important in this world. And the clown, as well as a few of the other toys, approached a big, shiny engine that looked the part, but decided, you know, he was just too busy. He was focused on what he thought mattered, but actually didn't amount to much at all in the eyes of the giver. So they approached this older, rusty engine that had seen better days, and this engine could have done it if he hadn't used his elderly condition as an excuse. He declined, saying, no, I'm just too slow, I'm too tired. You should have asked me about 30 years ago. And then they approached that sleek passenger engine, but it was too fancy and highfalutin'. It carried really important people people who did not dance on linoleum floors or drink Lone Star. Wasn't about to associate with clowns and toys and anybody who might listen to Hank Williams. But then they spotted the little blue engine who at first glance didn't amount to much, who'd never undertaken anything so big and monumental, but the little blue engine recognized that the mission she was called to undertake was critical. It was important. It mattered, it was purposeful. It could make a big difference in the lives of others, especially children, and it would make the giver of those gifts the giver of all gifts so happy. So the little engine said, yes, which is always the first step in transformation. And chanting that mantra that, you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, she does. We here. And in any community that follows Jesus are that little engine, except we chant what we've experienced in our encounter with God on the mountaintop. He thinks we can. He thinks we can. He thinks we can. You see, sometimes it matters less that you believe in God and more that God believes in you, even when you do not. Because God loves you unconditionally and claims you as his own and calls you as his child. You can, you have, you will. It was from that hug that empowered Rodney Crowell to keep hoping, keep singing, keep believing the best, keep loving. It is what empowered him, even after all those times of chaos and conflict and disappointment, to hold close to his heart the gospel truth that love is all I need. It was many years later that Rodney's dad lay on his deathbed in a hospital in East Houston, and sitting right next to him, he noticed that his dad looked absolutely awful. His his hideous condition seeming to quote mirror every ounce of self-loathing that I had managed to accrue over the course of my lifetime. Rodney's wife, Roseanne Cash, Johnny's daughter, told him. He's just burning off all the past, Rodney. Crowell had tried to prevent his father's pastor, Brother Looney, his real name,
1: <laughs>
0: from visiting. Because, he said, of his own prejudice and ignorance. But he came to his senses and he relented and Brother Looney entered the room And he writes, he took my father's left hand and he looked deep into his eyes and I cried at the beauty of that moment. One, that I had had every intention of preventing. And Roseanne cried too as one must when compassion opens your heart elegantly and simply that country preacher said, go to God, Jay. And in the moments that followed his father's death, his transference. Rodney reflects that everything about his appearance was completely changed, totally transfigured. He writes his eyes shined a shade of sparkling blue, deeper than I could have ever imagined. His skin seemed sculpted from a marble ten grades finer than Michelangelo's David. The piece settling over the room was so intense that everyone cried at the joy of knowing such serenity. I found it hard to close his eyes, not because of the finality of this act, but because I couldn't bring myself to alter something so beautiful. I wonder if what Rodney Crowell saw that day was a man completely unveiled before his caring creator, face to face with his marvelous maker. Pulled so close he could hear the beating heart of the one who had loved him into being and loved him still into becoming a completely different man. Sometimes it may seem a long way to the top of that mountain you can make it because God thinks you can and God believes that you will.
1: all I know An image I recall a picture on the wall Of my mother on her wedding day Young and naive Nothing up to sweet But the things that just got lost along the way Love's all I need. I know love's all I need. I know. All I need. I know love's all I need. My life had a dream last night. I saw my mom and dad, they were happy now, and I was glad. They had a brand new house, they just moved in, and when I awoke I know love's all I need I know love's all I need I know love's all I need That's all I know